To God be the glory for the privilege to be here on this Sunday morning, this Resurrection Sunday. And many of you know all across the centuries that the leader of worship has stood on Easter Sunday morning and he has proclaimed he is risen and the congregation would say he is risen indeed. Now Steve tried to steal my thunder, but I'm still going to do it. Are you ready? Here we go. He is risen. To God be the glory today. I am so thankful that you are here. Today is the beginning, certainly in Jesus Christ, but also I have to confess it's also the end. Today we come to the end of our study of the Gospel of Mark that began last August. I know many of you were not here for the entire series, but this series was titled The Remarkable Life of Jesus. And today we come to the completion of this amazing series, but but here's what we've learned along the way, that Mark is an action-packed gospel with more miracles per chapter than any other book in the Bible. Uh, the gospel of Mark was written to a Roman audience, and Romans loved action, and because of that, the most common used word in Mark is a little Greek word, euthus. The word euthus means quickly or immediately. It's used 40 times in 16 chapters because the action never stops. Jesus goes quickly here and he goes immediately there. And today we immediately and quickly come to the most important action in all of history. Today, obviously, we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you to take your Bibles in hand with me and go to the very last chapter of the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Now, while you're turning there, I feel I need to do a little bit of explaining before we get into this. Because when you arrive at Mark 16, you're going to notice after verse number 8, there's a little footnote or a little heading, if you will, that says that some of these verses don't appear in the earliest Greek manuscripts. And you probably read that and you say, what in the world is all that about? Well, I need to explain right quick so that we're all on the same page as we proceed. Here's what you need to know. There are over 5,600 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. It is by far and without a doubt the most validated book in all of history, but as the text says, the earliest manuscripts don't have verse 9 and following. So how do we answer the question, are those verses supposed to be in your Bible? Well, I'm going to actually defer to a to one of the scholars, a hero in Baptist theology. His name is Dr. Herschel Hobbes, and I'm just going to quote him this morning. Here's what Dr. Hobbes said. He said, even if someone rejects this ending, do not lose, they do not lose the basic teaching of Scripture that's contained in the latter part of Mark chapter 16. Because all the teachings found there are always and connected to the other three Gospels and in the book of Acts. So the things we see in Mark 16, 9 and following, there are contained in other parts of the Bible. So we're going to preach them today. So with that, let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's Word. It's what we always do here at First Baptist, and we'll do it here on Easter Sunday. And let's read together Mark 16, 1 through 20. Here's how the Gospel of Mark offers it to us. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome 
bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Come see the place where they laid him. But go now and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Verse number 9. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a, in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In the name they will drive, in my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. We'll talk more about this in a moment. And they will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. And then the disciples went out and they preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. May God bless the reading of his word today. May we celebrate the resurrection. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, I would guess today that every single person in this room knew exactly what the pastor was going to be talking about. After all, it's Resurrection Sunday, right? We're going to be talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in the title of the message today is this, He's Alive, Do You Believe Him? Now, let me tell you kind of some behind-the-scenes stuff that happened in my office. I almost... Um, titled this message today, Do You Believe It? But I recognize it's not something you believe, it's someone whom you believe in. You see, Jesus is our risen Savior. Salvation comes by believing in Him. And so I changed it today, He's alive, do you believe Him? I want to ask you today, do you believe Him? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is alive? This morning, we're going to do three things. We're going to hear the announcement of the angel. We're going to consider the unbelief of the disciples. 
And then we're going to hear Jesus give us our marching orders. So let's start off with the announcement of the angel. To get into this, I want to show some love to the women who went to the tomb. Now, let me just say this. Aren't these ladies amazing? Here they are, the only ones left. The only ones who haven't run. The only ones who are making their way to the tomb. The only ones who are going to anoint Jesus' body. And they went into the tomb and they discovered that the Christ was not there. But somebody else was. What's the Bible tell us? A young man dressed in white. In other words, an angel. And I love the fact that it tells us that they were afraid. How many of you walking into a tomb where you expect to find a dead man would have been afraid if you found a guy dressed in white? There is no doubt that most of us would have had the same reaction. And that man quickly comforts them, the angel does, by saying, Don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus, but he's not here. He is risen. Now, what I want us to focus on here is that the angel offers two sets of instructions. It's key for us to hear these on Easter Sunday because these are instructions also for us. Here's the first thing that he said in verse number 6. He said, come see. Now, the word come is implied. Come see the place where they laid him. So he invites them to come closer. He invites them to come and see the evidence. And all they find there are the burial clothes of Jesus. There's no body, and because of that evidence, they believed that Jesus was alive. Now, that's what I want us to do this morning. I want to invite you. I think God invites all of us to come and see the evidence. I want you to take your worship guide in hand. Hope everybody got one of these because it's very important for the message today. And I want you to go to the section titled, A Word from Our Pastor. And you're going to see in that section that I am offering us some evidence as to why we as a church believe that the resurrection is true. Let's walk through these together. Why do we believe he's alive? Well, first of all, because the tomb was empty. We believe that Christ was alive because no body has ever been produced. Nobody ever produced the corpse of Jesus the Christ. In addition to that, we believe because 500 people saw him with their own eyes after he resurrected. We also believe because of the transformation in these disciples. Now, we just talked about the fact that the women were the only ones left. What happened to all the men? Well, they ran in fear. The disciples all scattered like cockroaches when the light comes on, right? And yet those fearful disciples then transitioned because of the resurrection and they were willing to die for what they knew to be true. Look at the next one. I love this one. Let's focus in on Thomas himself. Thomas went from being a doubter to a man who said, my Lord and my God. Why did he do that? Because he saw the resurrected Lord. Look at the next one. James, the half-brother of Jesus. The Bible tells us that he was a skeptic. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ. After all, he grew up with the kid, right? 
But when Jesus rose from the dead, he became a firm believer and a leader in the church in Jerusalem. Look at the next one. Saul of Tarsus, many say the greatest conversion in all of history. He went from killing Christians to trying to create as many Christians as possible. In addition, the church rose from this moment. Friends, not the Jewish church but the Christian religion itself. We would not be here today if it were not for the resurrection. And then finally, look at the day we're worshiping on. What is today? Somebody say it out loud. Sunday, right? And guess what? We meet here every Sunday. Before the resurrection, they met and worshiped God on Saturdays. But because Jesus rose on the first day of the week, they knew it. They all believed it. And they moved the day of worship to be Resurrection Day on Sunday. Now, we're going to come back to the other one in just a few moments. You see, the first thing that we can do today is to accept the instruction of the angel when he said, Hey, come and see the evidence. Uh, The second thing that he tells them to do is go tell. Uh, Look at verse 7. He says, go and preach the gospel. Uh, Go tell everyone that Jesus is alive. Now, now Mark seems to end in verse number 8. But we know those women went and told. They went and told everyone that they could. Women, let me say it out loud, were the first Christian evangelists. And all the ladies said, amen. Now, you've been given the same command. I've been given the same command. We're supposed to go and tell the world that Jesus Christ is alive. Now, how often have we been guilty of the initial behavior of the women in verse number 8? The preacher stands and said, hey, go be a witness unto Jesus Christ. And we go to our workplace and we sit quietly. We go into our schools and we're a little bit scared. We might even have to go into our own home and we really don't feel comfortable sharing about Jesus. We're afraid to tell the good news. Well, let me take you all the way back to when I was a teenager. Now, I'm standing here today boldly proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. But you have to understand, when I was a teenager, somewhere around 13, 14, 15 years old, I came to understand that Christ wanted me to tell folks I was petrified. You want me to do what? And so I did the only thing a teenager knew to do. I decided I would start wearing Christian t-shirts. Okay? That's what you did back in the 80s. You put yourself on a Christian t-shirt. And I'm going to show you today one of the t-shirts I actually wore. Now, they're not supposed to be up there at the same time. They're supposed to be individual. But I want you to look in the the top left-hand corner. Now, if that were larger, you would see it says the Lord's Gym. Ladies and gentlemen, I actually wore this shirt to school many, many times. And at the bottom, guess what it says? Bench press this. Are you kidding me? I actually put that on my body and ran around in it to tell people I was a Christian. And they got worse than that. Look at the top one on the next line. Air Jesus, the ultimate high back in the day of Michael Jordan. Christians wore that shirt. Yeah, they did. That's true. All right, look at the bottom. In honor of Larry the Cable Guy, yep, Christians put this one on. Jesus got her done. How about that one? And if you think those aren't bad enough, look at the bottom right. Oh, my goodness. Say it together out loud. Jesus is my homeboy. Did you ever think you'd say that phrase in church today? 
Can you believe that? Those shirts were worn around for people that were scared like me to try to proclaim Christ. But you know, I did it because I love Jesus. And because I wore those shirts, people knew who I was and they knew what I believed in. And because I wore that shirt, the Lord's gym, bench press this, I'll never forget a friend of mine came to me and he said, Danny, you're different and I want to be like you. And I got to share Jesus with another 15-year-old that day. You see, the proclamation is go tell. It doesn't matter how we do it. We just have to do it. And if Jesus can honor and bless and use teenagers wearing t-shirts, then he can definitely use you. Just tell people naturally what the risen Lord has done in your life. If you want to tell somebody about Christ, say amen. Amen. So we start off today. We start off today with this amazing announcement by the angel. But but we move out from there to the second thing I want to discuss, and that's the fact that the disciples doubted the reports. So we know the women did go tell. Uh, they went on from verse 8. They did tell, specifically Mary Magdalene went and told, and the, and the text tells us that the disciples refuted her. They didn't believe her. They didn't trust her. They refused to believe Mary. They refused to believe the other women who came running to say, Jesus is alive. And here's the deal. The Bible is replete with stories just like that. It actually alludes to one of these. Many of us know this story. Uh, There were two people walking on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus comes up to walk along with them. He begins to talk about all the things that had happened and explaining they didn't recognize Christ. He even goes so far as to go with them into their home, sit at their table, and it's only when he broke the bread that it dawned upon them that Jesus was with them in their presence. And upon that discovery, the Bible says they ran, not walked, all the way back to Jerusalem, and they said, we have seen the Christ Unbelievable. And I'm sure Mary stepped up and said, see, I told you, right? Now, there's a big lesson here. Let's stop for a moment. What's the Bible teaching us? Here's the lesson. The best proof of the resurrection isn't the empty tomb. The best proof of the resurrection is when you meet Jesus face to face. You see, I stand before you this morning, and I could go through all of these reasons... But the most important one is the last one if you want to look at it. The last one's the most important because I can tell you I know Christ is alive because he lives in me. I speak to him every single day. I hear the Lord speak to me, not audibly. I see it in things around me. I hear his voice through his word. And if you want to know Jesus Christ, I declare to you today that you can know him and you can serve him. You can invite him into your life and you will know him best and believe him most when you meet him face to face. Somebody say amen again. So let's move to the third point. So now Jesus gives us a job to do. 
And I think with this comes the most striking and important part of the end of Mark's gospel because in the final words, he packs the great commission, he packs God's promise of protection and the ascension all together in one little wrap package and he tells us three tasks to do. Here's the first thing that he says, tell everyone the good news about me. Let's go to verse number 15 in the text again because it's been so long since we read it. I want to remind us of verse 15. He said, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. I'm going to tell you something that you probably don't know, and I want it to encourage you this morning, that we are not seeing a spiritual awakening in North America. That's no surprise to us. Uh, We are viewing what we sometimes say, it seems like our nation is going to hell in a handbasket. It's very concerning for us. However, you need to know there is an amazing explosion of growth among Christians in the global church. There are now 2.3 billion Christians, twice as many as the number of Muslims um, in the world. Christianity is the fastest growing religion on planet earth. There are over 400,000 missionaries right now taking the gospel to every people group on this planet. There are more Christians right now in China than any other nation. And at the current rate of growth, there will be more Christians in China than in the entire U.S. population by the year 2030. The largest church in the world is the redeemed Christian church of God in Nigeria. Friends, global missionings missions is happening and it's being very successful. And I want that to encourage you today. But here's the deal. We must realize that we're not only going to the world, but the world is coming to us. Look at our open border, right? Look at what's happening in these United States. Each year, 2.2 million internationals visit the United States. Over 600,000 of those are university students. So here's the challenge. We can do worldwide missions right here at home, right here in Navarro County, right here in Corsicana. We must tell the world the good news of Jesus Christ. The second thing, the second, the second instruction. He says, I will equip and empower you. Let me give you just a scenario. Let's imagine that you and I were about to travel across a desert. And we decided to go without filling up our gas tank. And the simple question is, is it going to work? Well, obviously not. If you and I are planning to go on a trip across the desert, the very first thing we would do is put gas in our tank. And that's why we get frustrated when we try to go travel for the Lord Jesus Christ, but we never are filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, here's the deal. If the disciples had immediately gone out and started sharing the word of Christ, they would have failed. But instead, they prayed for 10 days after Christ had ascended. And on that 10th day, the most amazing thing happened. We call it the day of Pentecost. God's spirit came down and filled those disciples. And in that moment, they were empowered, they were equipped. And then because of that, thousands got saved and thousands came into the church. We're the same way. We must go out, but first, we have to be filled by God's Holy Spirit. The Bible says, it's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. So let's move to the third thing. The third thing, 
He says, I will protect you until you finish your assignment. So, so now we get to come to that very interesting verse. Now, we're not Pentecostals. We're Baptists. And because of that, this verse really bothers us about handling snakes and drinking poison. How many of you today would touch a snake? Put your hands down. Y'all are weirdos, all right? <laughs> Ain't no way I'm touching a snake. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to get near me. I'm not going to near it. I, I am an absolute coward when it comes to snakes. However, we know, don't we? That there are churches who take those words literally. And, and I say it's insane. They have service where they take poisonous snakes out of boxes and handle them to show how filled with faith that they are. Friends, that's nuts, right? That's crazy. And they're usually small Pentecostal churches in the Appalachian region. However, it reminds me of this story. I want to tell you this. A guy goes to one of those little Pentecostal churches. They start singing, they start celebrating, they start bringing out rattlesnakes to handle, and he goes to the pastor and he says, hey, where's the back door? I'm leaving. And the pastor says, well, we don't have a back door. And the man said, well, where do you want one? Right? (laughs) And that's me. (laughs) It's insane. But I want to tell you this. I also think theologically it's sincerely wrong. I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. I just think it's wrong what they're doing. I think here's what Christ is talking about. In Acts 28, and some of you know the story, the Apostle Paul is shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And snakes come out of the woods while he's building a fire on the beach, and one of them bites him on the hand. All the natives expect him to die, but he doesn't. And because of that, they thought he was a god, little g. He wasn't. God just protected him. Now, these words are not a license to tempt God. They're just Jesus' promise that he's going to protect us while we're on mission for him. Let's close this thing out. When I was studying at the seminary, I had the privilege of learning about our roots that stretch all the way back to a group called the Anabaptists. They were the re-baptizers, right? And I learned about a group of these Anabaptists called the Moravian Believers. They were in Ernhut, Germany. And in the year 1727, it's a great story, they started a round-the-clock prayer meeting that lasted, somebody guess how long? An around-the-clock prayer meeting that lasted 100 years. Now, it may just have been one or two people praying at the hour, right? But the prayer meeting continued. And out of that 100-year prayer meeting rose this desire to send missionaries to the new world. And these were the very first missionaries that ever departed out of the continent of Europe. And many missionaries went to Jamaica to try to evangelize the slaves. Well, here's how they did it. The Moravians were so committed to the gospel that they willingly sold themselves into slavery in order to evangelize the slaves they would be with. And before those Moravians left Germany, the church would actually hold their funeral. Yes, while they were still alive. In other words, they were saying that they were willing to die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's how I want to close. Folks, Jesus died for you. Would you be willing to die for him? But Jesus Christ lives for you. So would you be willing to live for him.